today's read, A Moment of Silence, Midnight Three, by Sister Soldier, Chapter Four, The Red Bag, A Reflection. I had already eaten well in the few hours between the murder and my arrest. I had been crouched on the curb between two parallel parked cars, a cream-colored Comet, and a Ford pickup truck. I had two bags of purchases from the dollar store on the corner in a Brooklyn neighborhood where I did not live but where my family business had a few customers and where I had delivered clothing that Uma made for them. I was setting up to write Uma a letter, a task that had to be done with truth, intensity, and skill. Seated in the middle of a darkened street, Underneath the radiant light pouring from a sign on a row of stores, it was the perfect spot for me to complete my second and final task of the night. Curbside, the vehicles shielded me from the view of the foot cop posted across the street on the corner to my right. The pickup truck shielded me from the parked cop cruiser on the same side where I was seated but at the opposite corner from the foot cop to my left. Behind me, a mailbox shielded me from the view of people walking by, as my second wife would say, a strategic position. Knowing that any of these vehicle owners could walk up at any moment to start their cars, drive off, and expose me to view, it didn't matter. There was no reason that any of these cops on this block, in this neighborhood, should be looking for me other than the fact that police stay looking for young black males for the sport of their hunt. The bright light made it possible for me to see enough to pin a letter to my Uma, the most serious letter I ever wrote in my lifetime to the most important person in my young life. Sure, I could call her on the phone, yet I couldn't call her To call her would be to hear her voice, and her heart was always in her speech, and her expressions of love would cause me to unfreeze at the very time that I needed to remain ice cold, calculating, and calm. Instead, I would mail her my words, my thoughts, my instructions, and my feelings so that she could be absolutely certain. A letter would place enough distance between Uma and me that I could remain accurate and highly focused. I pulled out my newly purchased dollar store gloves and put them on. Unwrapping the six-piece stationery set, six pieces of pale mint paper, and six matching envelopes, I placed the stamp on the right-hand corner of the envelope first, pulling out my black ballpoint pen I shook it to distribute and loosen up the ink instinctively I looked up into the sky as though I was asking the heavens to clear murder from my mind enough for my thoughts and words to flow perfectly precisely passionately all I saw was blackness a stingy moon and a starless sky As I put the pen to paper, the radiant light from the store sign blackened 
causing my area to darken and the block to become dim. What did it mean? Placing the cap back onto the pin, I pushed all of my items back into the bag and eased up some to search my surroundings. The store, three doors down, was lit and open for business. The sign above it read, Midnight Wash. It was a laundromat. Reluctant to move away from the mailbox where I would post my letter, which was my most immediate concern, another idea swiftly came to mind. Calmly, I walked diagonally and entered the place. It was empty at first glance. I moved three steps to my left and stood behind a paper sign taped in their window so no one could see me from the street. I glanced around. There were paper signs everywhere. We close at midnight was the first one I saw. Good, I thought to myself. It was 10.30 p.m. I calculated I could come out of my murder wares, throw them in a 25-minute wash and then a 25-minute dry, and remove any evidence of the slaughter. The kind of evidence that the naked eye could not see, but that might be on me. The kind of evidence that, if erased, could cast doubt in any investigation and in the mind of anyone in charge of deciding the term of my imprisonment. I could write the letter while the clothes washed and dried and be out of here no later than 11.30 and drop the letter into the mailbox. After that, I wouldn't care what happened. Destiny would move me. My thoughts were interrupted. I heard a female voice talking, not to me, but I didn't hear anyone answering her either. Remove your clothing immediately after your machine stops was another sign on the wall. We are not responsible for lost or stolen items. Change machine in the back. I headed to the back, and that's when I saw her. Bare feet. Red hair like a fire hydrant. Dark eyes and sculpted black lips like a smoker. She had one leg cocked up like a flamingo as she held her phone to her face, talking. Her words flowed like music. Her accent came and went from hoodchick to almost Jamaican, but the rhythm revealed that she was not Jamaican. She could do more than three things at one time, deep in conversation with whoever was on the other end. Even her hands were speaking as she gestured like a conductor, leading an orchestra. All of that, and still like a hawk, she watched me as though I was food after a long starvation or drought. Small waist, short legs with thick thighs and hips like they were created for continuous breeding. She was leaning lightly on the wall between a row of washers and the money machine that ate dollars and burped out quarters. I sized her up as no threat to me. She wouldn't run out into the streets and yell, he's in here. I could see that she was no joke either, serious and brewing with secrets. She spoke in a lowered voice at first, but increased the volume as I approached. Moreover, 
on her long black cobra stitch lanyard keychain, which she wore on her tiny, tight denim panty shorts. There dangled about 21 keys. So I figured she worked here in the laundromat. Cool. I put my $2 store bags down on top of one machine. I pulled out my hoodie, a Transit Authority uniform shirt I had stuffed in one of the bags, and the matching cap that goes with it. Turning my back to her, I swiftly removed the murder black t-shirt and threw it all into an empty washing machine. Cutiana, run! As soon as you said that, the red-headed blurted out suddenly with a slight laughter. I walked over to the vending machine and bought some detergent with bleach for colored clothes. I've seen him round here before, just walking through, the redhead said. I removed my belt and eased out of my sneakers, the socks, and then my jeans. Underneath, I had on my black basketball shorts. I threw my jeans, the belt, and the socks into the machine with the clothes I already had in there. Him hold him head so high, you think him God's right-hand man. The redhead pushed each of those words out slowly with heavy accent and emphasis. I poured two bags of liquid detergent over the clothes. Him don't give a girl a chance or a glance like him too good for we, she said. I closed the washing machine door, took out a $10 bill, and inserted it into the change machine on the wall by where she was standing. Mmm, him body like artwork. I like a lick him like a lime bomb pup. She paused. Yeah, I know. Them thick popsicles were red, white, and blue colored, but I love lime. I pushed the quarters in and the machine started. I watched the suds form and rise up in the water. Me pull it gently with me lips. Suck the sugar come down like guava juice. Make he go crazy for I and relax a little, she said. I swallow like it's sorrel. Soon him tell I him love me. I looked at her. Her eyes locked onto mine, still staring. She wouldn't lower her gaze, as though she expected me to look away first as though she was the man instead of me. I fire up the cooking pots for he, him too good for takeout. I prepare fresh roti with curry good, a chicken curry, rice and peas. You know I could do Guyanese or Jamaican thing, she said as though she was making an offer to me, her eyes on me as she spoke to what had to be another woman on the phone. And then I knew they sing their words in a different way from the Jamaicans. She was a Guyanese-born African with that Indian blood running all through her. I could see from her hair texture and length, natural, not a wig or a weave, but the red color was just her style and spin on it. Still, the hood in her was the heaviest. Of course, red verse is the only man for I. You don't have to remind me, girl. Facing 25 years to life, hmm, she grunted. It's a long, long, long time. I hold it down for you, yeah? Me take care of everything for you. But I body is another matter, she said as I 
headed to the bathroom, making good use of my time. The bathroom door was locked. The sign on it read, Ask the attendant for key. Bathroom is for customers only. Come December the 6th, mark two years I hold out. But on this warm summer night, me feel something, me see something I body wants I own. She said without laughter and with a dramatic expression. Then she pulled the receiver a few inches from her face where she had been hugging it. She looked at me, standing there, waiting for her to take a breath or a break or to get off the phone. Him know me talk about he, but him pretend him no no. She paused. Bathroom key, I said, only those two words to her. She spun her hips around. Now her butt was facing me. A rectangular wooden paddle that said men's was buried in her small butt pocket. She had stopped talking and stood staring again. Slide it, she said. Take it, she said. I pulled it out easy, not wanting to graze her body at all, even with my gloved fingers. No, I was talking to ye, she said after pulling the phone back to her face and leaving it between her chin and shoulder as I walked away. Bulb blew out in the bathroom as soon as I flipped the light switch on. Seemed like lights had been flickering, blacking out, or busted all around me all day and night long. I didn't have time to think about if there was a meaning in that. I felt around until I found the sink and the knobs for the water. I turned it on, removed one glove. Hot water worked. Cold water? Nothing. I put my two plastic bags down on the floor and undressed completely. I didn't mind the temporary darkness. I needed the seclusion. I scrubbed my whole body like a surgeon does before surgery, even beneath each fingernail, removing all blood, filth, germs, and yes, gunpowder, and all other evidence. 15 to 20 minutes seemed to be to ease by in seconds. I was wearing the new white t-shirt I'd purchased from the dollar store. Not the quality I'm accustomed to, but clean and good enough for survival mode. Wearing new boxers and socks, I was standing and thinking about my Nike Jordans. I didn't have time to throw those in the machine or to wait the amount of time it would take for them to dry. I didn't have the idea or the willingness or the nerve to buy the bullshit men's skips when I was shopping in the dollar store, which was the only kind of sneakers they sold to wear while my official joints were washing either. And I didn't have the desire to stand barefooted in the laundromat like the redhead flamingo with soap and tissue and hot water that had increased so high in temperature that it felt like it was searing off my fingerprints. I cleaned my Jordans by hand, the tops and the soles. I pulled out the old laces and wove the new laces in the dark. Knew everything about kicks by heart. Didn't need my eyes or the light to get it right. Done. I opened the bathroom door to catch some light to use to clean up behind myself. I pushed everything I needed to trash in one bag and placed everything remaining in the other. I wanted to burn my trash but didn't want to trigger any smoke or fire alarms. My washer had stopped. I pulled out my jeans and threw them into the dryer, dropping in enough quarters for it to spin for 25 minutes. I tossed the plastic bag containing my trash, even my leftover bar of soap, into the washer with my basketball shorts. 
and the rest of the clothes I purposely planned to leave behind. I fed the washer more quarters and rewashed the washed clothes and my trash, including the plastic bag. The girl was gone, with only myself and my thoughts and the sound of the dryer and my one pair of jeans. I was moved to make salat, a late night prayer at the end of a day weighted down by rapidly moving passions, pleasures, and tragedies, even events so serious they altered and rearranged and twisted the future of more than seven lives, including mine, way more than seven, but only the seven is what I cared about most. I have missed three prayers today, I thought to myself. I had the wall to my left and the machines to my right. There in the limited space between, I stood, moving my mood and my mind into prayer mode, then lifted my hands, then folded my right hand over my left hand at my chest, then bowed my body halfway and held my hands on my knees, then got on my knees and bowed my head pressed to the ground. Asalam was the last word of a heartfelt prayer. Peace, even though this day was chaos. But prayer put me in the right frame of mind to write my Uma a letter. Once I did that and dropped it in a mailbox right outside the laundromat, I would be ready to face anything, no matter how harsh or horrible. Between Uma and me, that's how it was, and that's how it is, and that's how it had been since our arrival in the United States of America at New York's JFK Airport more than seven years ago. We only trust one another to this day because we know how outsiders, people, and politics can flip without notice, and circumstances change drastically. We keep our emergency suitcase packed so we can flash out in an instance. No one could tell me or teach me anything about my Uma. No one could tell Uma anything about me either. We had agreed that urgent or important words had to come from her lips to my ears and from my mouth to her heart, period. Even if there was an adult or elder speaking or saying anything about me, her son, it would not matter. Back home, of course, it would. Respect for elders and even a slightly older brother, sister, cousin, and of course, for aunts and uncles and grandparents was our ways and beliefs. But in America, where the adults themselves are as confused as the children, afraid to grow up, and embarrassed by aging where it is a way of life not to believe and where most adults are crafty liars. It would not. Even though I had given Chiasa, my second wife, and the last person in my family to see and touch and speak to me, my words and instructions, and even though Uma loves Chiasa, it would not matter. So, both the murder and the letter go hand in hand, had to happen, not one without the other. Bismillah, Bismillah, 
in the name of Allah. Allah is Alik. God is watching, hearing. So say only the truth. I wrote the letter exclusively in the beautiful language and lettering of Arabic. Azizti Uma. I greeted her warmly. stopped at the same time that I heard a heavy gate slamming shut, resulting in a strange silence for a laundromat. Leaving the space where I had been leaning and writing using their folding table, I could now see that the solid metal gate shielding the front door of the laundromat was closed down, and I could now hear someone rattling the padlock on the other side. My eyes shot towards the clock, 11.30 p.m. The front door entrance and exit was sealed shut half an hour early. Returning, I grabbed my jeans out of the dryer. I stepped out of my kicks, got fully dressed fast, and then stepped back in my kicks, wearing a wool hat on my almost dry washed hair and gloves on both hands. I pulled the few remaining bills out of my plastic bag. I pushed them into my right pocket. I then slid my box cutter into my slim side leg pocket. Carefully, I signed the letter, folded it, and sealed it in the stamped envelope, laying it down on the folding table in neat English print so that there would be no error or delay in Uma receiving it. I addressed it to my queen's home. I then pushed it into my back pocket along with the emptied and folded plastic bag. Now there were no bags to carry. Purposely hands-free, I pushed through the door marked emergency exit and walked right into the red flamingo. Yes, sprinting out of here on a hot summer night in your winter clothes, she asked without smiling and looked down at the gloves I had been wearing to prevent myself from leaving a trail of fingerprints in this place or even on the letter, envelope, or pen I had been using. Open a door, I told her, referring to the door behind her that she was purposely blocking. Where's your cleaned laundry? She asked me. I moved her out of my way and opened the door. Instead of the door leading me out of Midnight Wash laundromat and into a side alley, I was now standing in a tiny, tight kitchen with two chairs, one table, a small stove, and a lighted glass fridge. Flames flared beneath three covered pots and one flat pan. The scent of ginger was good, and it was trapped because there was no window. Instead, there was an iron grated vent, and none of that mattered. I had no time and no reason to start playing house with her. Let me feed you some good thing, her eyes asked first. Then her mouth said, You seem hungry, but more than that, you seem thirsty. She was right. I was mad thirsty, but I didn't admit it, with words or gestures. Let me grab you a drink, she brushed by me, pressing her body against mine, and then opened the door of the glass cold case in the too tight kitchen. 
I want to give you a Guinness or a Heineken or a red stripe. More than that, I want to give you what you want. So here, she handed me a bottle of Poland spring water. I take you for the water type, she said, staring. I twisted the top. As soon as I heard the seal crack open, I downed it. Standing, facing me and way too close, she handed me another. I cracked that one open and... That's how me and me man first met, she said. It was back here in this small space. I went for a drink and rubs against him. He grabbed me hips and picked me up on this tabletop and tear open me shirt and cut off me jeans with a knife because they was that tight, tight, tight on me body. Him bust me sweet cherry good, make my body throb all over. Then him say to I, next time, wear a dress so I could get you right. She smiled, remembering. After that, me love him forever. My mind wasn't on her, but then I also peeped that she was out of her denim booty shorts and wearing a colorful short dress that barely passed where her coochie was. I was grateful for the water. She had supplied me with the basic need. I also needed to eat, but I wasn't going to eat her or sit and share a meal with her, and I definitely wasn't going to sex her. It looks good, but I'm not going to have any, I told her stepping out of the tiny kitchen area and searching for the back door. The back door is locked and it's the other way star, she said, reminding me of a bedside Brooklyn girl named Bames who called me superstar every time she saw me. The door that doesn't say exit is the exit. The door that says exit is not, she said, smiling and seeming to enjoy her own riddle. But now is the wrong time for leaving. If you make a move now without carrying the red laundry bag, the cops on the other side of the door are grab you as soon as you step out, she said strangely, dramatically and seriously. Thinking about what she was saying and why she was saying it had me still for some seconds. I didn't give a fuck about the cops. I gotta mail the letter though. Uninterrupted, I thought to myself. If I left through the side or the back door, I pictured in my head, I would still have to walk around to the front to drop the letter in the mailbox without allowing them to take me. But was what she was saying true? You on my block, in my yard, as we say. So listen good, hear me now. In one hour and 20 minutes at 1 a.m., you can leave out the back door carrying a red laundry bag and no one, no man, no beast at touch her, she said, staring sternly. Carry the red bag to the train, taxi, plane, or wherever. But once you clear three blocks from here in any direction, you're good. She could tell I didn't trust her. She seemed calm, like she expected me to automatically flow with her intimate dinner fantasy and her suspicious red bag exit plan. She pulled one leg up back into her flamingo stance where she seemed most comfortable, causing her coochie dress to creep up even higher and shorter than before. Your bot, 
from the dollar store on the corner here. She pointed towards the corner where I had actually shopped an hour or so ago. You buy some wrong thing, she said strangely. I knew I didn't buy anything illegal from the dollar store. Everything I bought was out in the open and for sale. You buy a box cutter. She put up one finger like she was about to make a list. You buy winter gloves and whole cap in a summer season. She put up two more fingers. You buy soap and socks. She continued until all ten of her fingers were spread. And somehow she knew all my purchases. Yet she was definitely not in the dollar store when I was. I paid attention. She probably saw into my plastic bag when I set it on the machine I swiftly considered. She placed her hands on her hips and stared into me, trying to demonstrate her seriousness, then continued. Store manager over there is the informer. The informer, I repeated. The informer, she confirmed, turning off her accent. Him tell the foot cop on the corner when people buy suspicious things. Gal gangs in our yard choose a box cutter for a weapon. Any child, man or woman, buy box cutter is suspect. Sensing my doubt, she explained. Box cutter, them is not illegal for the informer to sell or for you to buy, but police ears see it as a red flag and the informer tell all. It didn't sound like something she was making up, but it didn't sound like a reason I needed to stay either. Keys, I said suddenly. At the same time, both the thought and the observation dropped into my head. Don't tap. She clapped her hands together and wiggled her fingers, then spun her body to show me that her cobra was no longer there and no keys were jingling on her. But she had the cobra keychain on her panty shorts before and the bathroom key in her back pocket. I confirmed to myself, go get him, I ordered. Me give him to the one who lock up the gate each night. Him open up again at 1 a.m., then safe, she said, returning to her serious stare. <sighs> my eyes searched the tiny kitchen. Then my gloved hands pulled open one of two drawers. One contained laundry bags, neatly folded as though pressed. The other contained brown bags, foil, plastic bags, napkins, and straws. Her arms were folded in front of her now, and both of her, be- both of her bare feet were on the floor. The tension tightened her up. When she'd been all laid back and loose before, I knew I was onto something. She had to have hidden the keys somewhere. I yanked open the narrow spice cabinet on the sidewalk beside the stove. There were no spices, but a tiny five-inch television was embedded into the wall. On the screen was an image of the laundromat showing where all of the machines were, where I had just been. A surveillance device, I thought to myself. That was the reason she could leave her place of business unattended. She could watch and see all of her laundromat customers as she chilled back here like she was at home. I looked up. Pulling out one of the two metal chairs, I placed it on top of the table. When I climbed up and stepped onto the table, she got excited. And then the excited expression on her face evaporated as she caught on 
that I wasn't about to twist and bend her body in some mean ass in some mean ass fucking position but I had seen the lines on the ceiling in the shape of a square that seemed to lead to the second floor you don't want to do that she warned me and she was wrong I was already pushing on the square and climbing up I lifted it only two inches at first to see and listen if someone was up there I figured she had a small bed for resting and a closet with a few changes of clothes the keys were probably up there where she had changed into her fuck me dress I wasn't going to ask her again for them or even trust any of her responses I know what she wants if there were no keys plan B I would leave from the rooftop or at least use it to see for certain what and who was moving outside in the area from the rooftop I could see clearly and then leap to or jump down to another connected building or use the fire escapes if the mailbox was too hot from the rooftop I could spot another mailbox then switch up my route I pulled my body weight up into a dusty room with no lights as soon as I was in I stood still to listen and check it out I could hear the redhead pull the chair down from the table and drag and push it back in its place good She understood then that I wasn't coming back. No bed, no furniture, no clothing. I stepped lightly towards the room door. I heard a sound. Looked down to be sure it wasn't coming from something being crushed beneath my feet. I scraped my left and right sneaker lightly on the floor. It wasn't me. It had to be somebody. Whoever it was had also purposely stopped moving so that they could not be heard, I stayed still. After a pause, I heard another sound. I leaped to the left side of the door, figuring the thump of one leap was better than several footsteps. Slowly, the door pushed open. There was only the long black barrel of a shotgun. With both hands and without exposing myself concealed in the corner, I grabbed it tightly and forced it forward using the butt of the gun to bang whoever was holding it. Now it was my shotgun and the barrel was pointed at his head. Blood clot was all he said. Get up, I ordered him. He stood slowly, raising his hands. Lead the way to the roof, I told him. My thoughts were racing to organize my next move. What do you want, he asked. To get the fuck out of this building, that's it. He walked with a cocky sway, even though he had a shotgun aimed at the back of his head and both hands up in the surrender position. He couldn't front. I could feel his fear. Put your hands down. I'm not the police, I told him. He hesitated. Just as he began pulling his hands down very slowly, as if he believed I might bang a bullet into his back, I warned him, you don't want to die tonight. So he wouldn't make any sudden or dumb moves that forced my hand. He dropped his hands all the way down to his sides. 
Within a few steps, he stopped walking and turned facing a door that did not look like an exit. It did not have an exit sign or any light coming from the narrow space below it. It was across from a door that did have an exit sign over it. Remembering the redhead's words, I figured the door with the exit sign should not be trusted. I tightened up on him, pressing the black steel barrel against his scalp so he could make the decision that would protect his life and keep me from spilling any blood without real reason. Slowly he turned the knob on the unmarked door. I pushed his head with the barrel and his back with my foot. He needed to be the first man seen by anyone secretly posted behind that door where it was so quiet it was either empty or easy. My hostage said suddenly as he broke his fall. AK-47 on the left, 9mm on the right, two men holding. There was light beneath the closed door that led to another room behind both of them. I could see feminine bare feet about three sets before the light coming from beneath the second door suddenly flicked off. And then I knew. I'm not the police, I said. I'm a customer who wants to walk out the building like I was never here. Nine millimeter laughed. Shut your eyes, Clotmote. My hostage warned him solemnly. Sounded like my hostage was in charge of them and not the other way around. All eyes were shifting, sizing up the situation. None of us were ready to die over some bullshit. All of us had to be thinking how messy this scene could end. Bodies everywhere. And for what? Lay your weapons down, I said, nodding my head to the right corner. My hostage turned his head slightly like he was turning to face me. His men didn't budge, waiting for orders, I figured. Negotiation, my hostage said slowly, pushing out each piece of the word. I tightened up on him so he would stop moving to face me. He needed to negotiate with his men not me respect him said him don't want a thing him just a wanderer a laundry customer who somehow got trapped in our building my hostage said sarcastically to his men he saw us AK-47 said we gon' kill he the other one said and smirked kill him he gon' kill I versus brother he warned them. And more than that, one shot on five or gone rush our palace and we are gone dead. Then, them get away with our product. My hostage was reasoning for his survival. He blew our spot, 9mm said. We gone let him walk. Otherwise, gone turn graveyard in a ear. He told them, put your guns down, he ordered. They didn't. He raised his voice. Now they did. There's only one way out alive for you, he said to me, speaking out of the side of his mouth, but still facing his own men. I was hearing him, but watching his men and calculating whether there were more men in the back room or 
just the women whose feet I saw before the lights blacked out. Are there other men anywhere in this building? I thought to myself, but I had no way of knowing. In my pocket is the key to the dial for your freedom, he said with a serious tone, but I could tell he was a joker. I wasn't joking. Pull it out, I said. He did. Tell your men to turn around and face the wall, I said. He nodded. Both mad as a motherfucker, they turned. Walk, I told my hostage. Slowly, we are turned, he said to me. We spun a 180, slow like Tai Chi, with the steel still pressed on him the whole time. Take three giant steps, he said without laughter. But like me and him were playing a game, I wasn't playing. Through my peripheral vision, I was watching his men while watching him. I go and reach and open this door, he said, standing in front of the door across the hall with the exit sign. I pressed the steel against his back as he turned the key. The door opened to a darkened stairwell. Go down here and out the door at the bottom, he said. Step. Six steps to the side, I told him. He didn't obey. My shatiaya, he said with a new confidence, requesting his gun back from me like it was some even trade. <laughs> nah, you can't call it, I said, reminding him who was in control. He wasn't. Brethren, he said, as though he and I could somehow be brothers. His two men made a dash for their weapons. I banged the hostage in the head, collapsing him, spun around and shoddy whipped his boys before either of them could get a grip on the AK or the nine. Three men down, knocked out and bleeding without shots being fired. I heard the voices of women reacting, gasping, whispering, chattering behind a closed door. They didn't open it. I grabbed the other two guns. I was headed down, hoping the exit door was the exit to the streets and that it was opened and not bolted. On the lower level, the red flamingo stepped out of the dark corner, interrupting my stride, still wearing her Fuck me, mini dress, her cobra keys now around her neck like a heavy necklace. She dragged a red laundry bag and was holding a small brown shopping bag in her other hand. I pushed past her, shoving open the exit door. It wouldn't open. Open the door, I told her, losing patience. Take this. Believe me, you wanna live? You have to carry out the red laundry bag. When the beast sees this red bag, them not touch ya. And the other bag? I asked. Your dinner, she smiled. Open the door, I told her again. Remember I, she said roughly, like it was an order. Simonique is the name my mom gave me. I put the weapons down. Facing the opposite wall from where she stood, she was staring at the guns like she was somehow attracted to them. I looked in the red bag. There was folded laundry. It wasn't mine. I was rifling through it. 
a couple of sheets and pillowcases, inserting my hand, searching for anything else hidden that I might not see at first glance. Me love you, Aya, she said powerfully. Open the door, I told her. You don't even know me. I know three things, she said as her hand resting on the door after setting the shopping bag down. One, she pulled down one finger. Obviously, she liked to count and list. I saw you praying that way. Me never see a man do that before. Two, you write some lucky one a long letter. Me want that for I. Three, you went up in the hole. She pointed towards the ceiling. And you come back out alive with all them guns. No one wins over Red versus Brothers. You did. So you win I. She turned the key in the lock. The heavy door creaked open. I pushed it with my gloved hands. The red bag, she insisted again. You gwan live, so I can love you. I took the red bag for one reason. If she was right, and if the police were outside her door, and if I could walk out past them, I could make it to the mailbox, which was my only goal. After that, I didn't give a fuck. Outside, it was still hot. Headed down the alley towards the front of the laundromat, I could still hear the sounds of Brooklyn late-night street life. Look left, look right, without turning my head in either direction. New cop on the corner on foot, tall and slim. The one before him was short and slim. Cruiser, still parked at the opposite corner. Now the mailbox was right in front of me. Walking out calm and cool, I placed the red laundry bag on the ground beside the mailbox. I pulled the letter out of my pocket, pulled the handle, opening the mailbox and dropped my letter inside. Relieved, I checked inside the food bag before taking another step. Two bottles of water and food wrapped in foil. Walking and watching and being watched, I looked up. Man on the roof of the laundromat dressed in all black he blended in with the sky but I could see the outline of his physique I took him for one of versus men when an empty city bus rolled in slowly my mind moved swiftly picking up my pace I darted down the next alley while the foot cop's view of me was blocked by the bus squatted there I took some seconds to get my mind right I felt my hunger I hadn't eaten since early afternoon. A minute later, I heard the voice of my second wife in my mind. So fucking cool, she would often say about me. But sometimes, she had said softly, right before we last parted, you have to throw cool away for a little while and do what's best to survive. I ate.